You're listening to the Matchday FM podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Trend Talk brought to you by none other than Matchday FM. Today, I'm your host, Sam Jordan, and I am joined by none other than Chris Stott. Stotty, how are you, lad? I am good, mate. Yourself? I'd like to say good, mate, but after last night, I'm bang average. <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah, I'm sure we'll get into that later, but listen, lots to talk about. It's been a, an eventful week. None other than, or none more so than at your hub, should we say, um, Manchester United, obviously I'm talking about there. That's the reason you're on, Chris, as a pundit. <laughs> let's be honest about it. Chris, where do we start? I mean, there was a big announcement yesterday. Let's start there. Um, Eric Ten Hag, been mooted for a while. Um, let's be honest, it's probably been done for the best part of a month, easy. Uh, obviously, Ajax still had a, a KMVB Cup game to play and didn't, you know, United didn't want to disrupt that and stuff like that. But, you know, it's finally been announced by the club. Happy? Yeah, I think overall I'm 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 happy and positive about this move. Um, you know, it is highly rated among um, the other managers, and I think that's always a, a good sign. Um, I mean, to have said that about Ranier, but <laughs> um, yeah, that you know, he's he's worked at, at big clubs with big reputations. Obviously, he was at Bayern Munich for a time. Um, obviously, not as as the big head coach, but was, um, I think he was in charge of the second team and involved in some first team stuff. Um, ended up at Ajax um, where, you know, he's dealt with the pressure because, you know, yes, that sort of standard of league isn't as as competitive as many others, but a club like Ajax has as much expectation on, on them as there is Bayern Munich in terms of domestically. They're expected to win everything. And he pretty much did. I think he won four league titles in a row, a couple of cups, made a Champions League semi-final, uh, where Dutch teams in in recent years haven't done so, even though, you know, early 90s, they were winning it. I think um, that's the big success for him, isn't it? The Champions League yeah. to the semi, because Frank De Boer did really, really well mm. at Ajax a few years and then only landed, I say only, but obviously, you know, got the Palace job off the back of it. I think Ten Hag, obviously, he has you know, really attractive style, but um, I think if he just had the four editive easy titles, mm. I think he, he doesn't get a Manchester United job or he doesn't get a sniff of it anyway, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree though. And I think even, you know, when he's gone out in, in the groups or in early stages, they've been tougher groups purely because of sort of coefficients of, of where Ajax get placed in the rankings as well. Um, I know this year they got beat by Benfica, but I mean, Benfica, um, for a handy size. Um, so that's probably that disappointment. But I think there was all that was around the time these reports were really sort of gathering momentum, weren't they? But obviously, I think he was in sort of um, head to head combat, really, with, with Pochettino. Um, and I think Ten Hag's got the nod over, over Pochettino because um, I just think people look at what Pochettino's doing at PSG and are not overly excited by it because again mm-hmm. they sort of failed in 
in Europe. Yeah, they went out the same stage as Ajax, but you'd expect PSG to get a lot deeper into it into the competition than Ajax. Um, mm. And, you know, it's, has he really dealt with being able to cope with the, the big stars and the big egos? Um, obviously, Ten Hag isn't dealing with those big egos, but maybe this signals a shift. If they're going to listen to Ten Hag, maybe he's he's wanting to go down a route where we're not got big egos. We've got a completely new um, culture and character within in the group, which ultimately it is is needed. That was well and truly demonstrated on Tuesday night. Um, but yeah, I, I'm quite quite positive because I think the signs are early on already that he's making the decisions. Um, you know, he's already said, I want Steve McLaren. Um, I want somebody who's been at United when they've been successful. You know, a lot of people won't remember the fact that Steve McLaren was there in the, you know, the treble winning years and the couple of years after before he got the Middlesbrough job. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was a big part in the way United played then. Um, you know, there's also talk of Benny Merlinstein coming in, back in because of the United link, the Dutch link. Um you know, the early early noises we're hearing are good. Um, proof will obviously be when transfers come in. Um, I think the big thing is now, though, I think there's got to clearly be, a, now that Ten Hag's been appointed, he's got to be in communication with Ranić on a weekly basis, at worst, to sort of work out, right, I want to see more of this player. Can you play him? Because I want to see how he, how he reacts in, in the Premier League environment. I don't like him. He's leaving anyway. Don't play him. Pointless. Yeah. You know, so I think that's the sort of thing that's going to be interesting over the next next few few weeks and months. But until we start to see the squad taking shape, it's still difficult to see what what it's going to be next season. But mm. can't be much worse than it is this season. So that's always going to be positive. Yeah. Well, you've, to be honest, Chris, you mentioned uh, the competition that Ten Hag faced for the role, obviously more or less was a straight shootout between him and Mauricio Pochettino. You've mentioned there that Mauricio Pochettino, in a lot of eyes, hasn't you know done as well as Paris Saint-Germain as what maybe people, one, expected or two, uh, could have. But obviously he did an unbelievable job at Spurs, mm. given the circumstances there. And we've also seen, with you know, Thomas Tuchel was also at Paris Saint-Germain, who's, who Tuchel did a very, very good job at, has done a very, very good job at Chelsea wasn't particularly revered at Paris Saint-Germain. Do you think it's one of them jobs that it's almost like a poison chalice, a bit similar to the Manchester United job in a way? And being honest, I, was was Pochettino, in your mind, ever going to be fair? Or were you very much part of the Ten Hag camp? Well, I, on that last point, I've, I wanted Pochettino when he was still at Spurs. I yeah. really did. I think everyone I, did, to be fair, yeah, didn't they? I just, I just felt as though the longer it went on, the more and more likely it was that he wasn't going to get the job because mm. if he was, if they really wanted him, we'd have got, we'd have got him before Ollie. We'd have got him, um, you know, we'd have gone straight for him instead of um, having Rani come in, you know, even possibly have gone for him ahead of Mourinho. Um, Cause even then he was, he was doing great, great stuff with Spurs. Um, I really do think, do think that it has been a case of um, the the time's been and gone for for Pochettino, sadly, because like I said, I think if he was going to get the job, he'd have got it um, got it earlier um, and got it 
at that at that point where um, Mourinho left, Solskjaer came in, and since he didn't, then I don't think he ever will. Um, I think he's going to be one of them. But he could have been a great Manchester United manager. His timings have just conspired against him. Yeah, and obviously, you know, as you've just mentioned there, when he was at Spurs, he was working under Daniel Levy, famed negotiator, so uh, or tough negotiator even. Um, so to try and get him out of Spurs probably would have been difficult at the time. Um, and, you know, I think he, his name has been tarnished a little bit yeah. at Paris Saint-Germain through no fault of his own, really. Mm. I think, you know, that, that job is is a tough job and I think he'll have to, he'll have to take another job really to sort of rebuild his, his reputation if it ever needs rebuilding, so to speak. I, I think he's going to need it. Um, probably not at Chelsea, but, you know, I think he's going to need a, a, a job. Like, I could see him taking over... Depends how Steven Gerrard gets on at, at Aston Villa, but I could see him taking the Liverpool job once mm. once Klopp uh, leaves. I think that'd be a really good job for him. But... And it, it would be a uh, very Manchester United for the man that they touted for years to end up going to Liverpool and doing yeah. a great job as well. I mean, to be fair, Klopp, um, you know, Gary Neville said it, didn't he? That um, I think he he interviewed for the uh, United job and said it was Disneyland. Um, yeah. And just about what he's got at the moment. Yeah, I mean, that sums up the club for the last 10, 15 years. Um, even, you know, Ferguson papered over massive, massive cracks with his ability as a manager. <laughs> well, anyway, let's get back to the, the chosen one, Ten Hag. What is it about Ten Hag, Chris, that Man United fans feel so inspired by? Because obviously, you've mentioned what he's done with Ajax, right? And you've mentioned you know, the trophies he's won and obviously started off at, um, well, he obviously was working under a few different coaches, wasn't he? McLaren being one of them. Uh, I, was he at McLaren? Um, FC 20, even though on the title, I think he was. Mm. So, uh, that's, and then obviously, uh, Wolfsburg as well, when he went there and won the title. So, um, obviously they know each other very well. But what is it that you're expecting as a United fan from Ten Hag in terms of one, style of play, uh, two, the way he's he's going to manage, because you know, at the end of the day, there's a lot of big egos in this Manchester United dressing room. You know, it's, it's very very clear, even from the outside looking in, that there's lots of egos. He's not really been exposed to working with big egos before. How do you expect? Do you think he'll come down with an iron fist and maybe try and move them on, or do you think he, he's he's going to have to try and try and get them on board? I think that that's a big question, and I think um, if he can do that, if he can sort of have that. Um, authority figure about him, then it could be a, a big success. And I think he has potential to do that. I think, um, you know, Pep's talked about him being, you know, um, having been a potential successor to himself at Manchester City as well, which I think is as high a praise as you can get. Um, in terms of, um, you know, the style of play, we saw with that Ajax side, they were free-flowing, um, great movement, it, you know, especially in the midfield areas. Um, you saw the likes of Van der Beek um, have license in the midfield to, you know, to take chances. Um, and he got the best out of those sort of players um, and turned, you know, like good players into players who could properly, properly mix it on the big stage. And then when you saw them move on, it's not worked for them, which to me suggests that he's a fantastic coach, you know, because... Van der Beek doesn't turn into the player he's turned into um, with, you know, without something being missing. And I think that's something being missing has been Ten Hag's coaching. Um, Hakeem Ziyech, 
he's not quite looked the player we thought he was going to be when he's gone to Chelsea, but he was unbelievable at, at Ajax. And yeah, he's had flashes, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, and I think, you know, and the, yeah, people go, oh, they were, yeah, but that's in the Dutch league. I'm talking about, I didn't seem to kick a ball in the Dutch league, I'm not going to lie, but in the Champions League, they were killing it. They were brilliant. Um, Tagliafico at left back was unbelievable. Um, you know, you know, even some of the lesser Tadic. players. Tadic, yeah. Tadic was done well. But was, yeah, he looked an absolute player. world beater in, in, in the Champions League. Um, mm. they, they clearly ha- he clearly has something. Um, that, And I think it's a clear style of play, um, you know, and a clear plan and a structure to how, right, you know, we've got a culture here. This is how we're going to be off the pitch. This is how we're going to be on the pitch. And if he can instigate that and get those two blending, then he's going to, I think he'll be, he'll be successful. Um, but I think the caveat to all of this is the club have to give him time to do that. Because mm. um, when Mourinho came in, we thought, this is a guy who can win trophies. Might not be the greatest football, but he can win trophies. He won, he won three trophies, but then wasn't actually given time to go, go any further. Um, yeah. You know, um, it goes back to the fact they gave David Moyes seven months and then look at him now. <laughs> you know, really, it looks a really stupid decision now to, if we'd have given Moyes three, four years, would we be in this situation? Who knows? I'm not saying he's, he was going to be the Messiah, he's going to be a Klopp, a Guardiola type guy, but he could have, he could have done something. Um and it's crucial now that Ten Hag gets five, six years to um, build a philosophy and build the club up again um, because he does sort of need dismantling and he needs to be the figurehead of it. Again, a lot of what Gary Neville was saying during the week is spot on in the fact that, you know, the biggest figure at City at Liverpool are the two managers, not the players. Mm. Ten Hag needs to be that United until he is. Until the manager is the focal point, there's going to be a struggle, a power struggle between player and manager. I think Tan High's got to lay down the wall and be like, right, no, everything comes through me. I decide everything. Um, I might delegate to a director of football, a sporting director. I'd seen that we are the sporting director. So, um, yeah, we've just got to see how, how that pans out. But I think so far I'm, I'm positive. Um in the sense that there's a lot about him that I like. Um, whether I don't think he's going to be a case of next season going to be properly challenging, but I think we'll close the gap and we'll sort of keep closing that gap until maybe three, four seasons, but they've built something that could possibly challenge. Even if it's if it's not necessarily for a Premier League, it might be for a Champions League. So we'll we'll see, but it's got to be given the time to do it. Well, Chris, you have sort of sidestepped me question, right? My initial question, which was, and I'm going to push you on it. Do you think he's going to have to come down with an iron fist and get rid of some of these big egos? Yeah. Or do you think that, he, that they're going to toe the line? Because let's be honest, and I'm mm-hmm. going to move on to him in a second in terms of Ralph Ranić. But Ralph Ranić, as you said, came in with a brilliant reputation, well-respected by all the big coaches in the Premier League, including Guardiola and Klopp. And even he hasn't, being able to get a tune out of them. Mm. So what do, yeah. you, what do you see envisage happening there? I'd like to think he'll move them on. Mm-hmm. Um, because like I alluded to, I think you need a complete cult- culture change and get rid of 
those that don't want to be there, I'm talking Pogba for starters. Yeah. Um, Matic has said he's leaving, but I don't think he was necessarily a problem. No. Um, he's no big miss either, is he? Yeah, live with that. And, on, and, he, and he'd be on good money. Exactly. Um, I think the difficult one is R- Ronaldo. I know Ten Hag has sort of muted that he might not fit his style. I think mm-hmm. it'd be a bold call because um, you just stats-wise, United are 12th without Ronaldo. Mm-hmm. But you could argue that last season we were second without Ronaldo with virtually the same team. So it's um, there's, there's that possible um, thing to say. But I think he does have to um, rule with that iron fist, as you say. Um, he's got to come in and make swift changes. Like, right, you don't want to be a sod off sort mm-hmm. of thing. I'll take 20 quid for you. Just like to get them out the door. If they don't want to buy into it, don't keep them. Because there's a lot of poisonous players, I think, in there that are um, you know, not pulling the way and also making noises about leaving and disrupting the dressing room. Get them out. Just get them out and just start again. Um, yeah, he's got to be brutal, and yeah, that's I mean, the only way. I, I was having a coffee uh, earlier on this morning, and I was speaking to a friend of mine who's unfortunately for both me and you a Liverpool fan. But <laughs> um, we were discussing like some of the players that, like, well, the players really that you, you'd want to leave Manchester United, or, or you'd definitely try and usher them out. And obviously, there's going to be people out there who'll throw maybe Harry Maguire in there, but I don't think he's anywhere near top of the list to get rid of mm. um, for as much as he's had a real bad season. But like I was saying to him, like you, you could go for. I'll reel off a list of names here, Chris, and see whether you disagree with me on any of them. But you've got like Dean Anderson, who's on 120 grand a week, who doesn't play. You might as well take 20, 30 million for him and get rid of him. You've got Tom Eaton there, who's a good yeah. backup. But with Henderson, you've been making me number one. Are you moving? Yeah. Moving exactly. on exactly because, and he's not happy, is he? Let's be yeah. honest. He, he wants to play. You've got. Uh, I, I I said to get rid of Bay. Mm. Um, misses too many games for injury. Problem is, who's going to take him off your hands? Um, Alex Tellers, haven't seen anything from him at all that would make me think keep him. And he's 29. Wamba Sache, that was a big one. Now, we, we were speaking about him, and like, I like him as a defender. I think as an out and out defender, he's good. He's a really solid, you know, right back. I just feel going forward and in a team like Manchester United, where you're expected to, to attack more often than not, I just don't think he fits. Yeah, I th- I think he might be one of these players that would suit playing on the right of a back three. You know, like Kyle Walker does occasionally for England, where it's a right back playing but on like, the right. Like uh, Aspilicueta and Rhys James. Yes, the way they, the yeah. I think that's that might be a better role for him. If Ten Hag comes in and wants to play that system, I think Wan-Bissaka would be an option in that role. But like you said, I, I think he's a good, def- good defender, but going forward, lacks it. I yeah. think he'd be further down my list of of players to get rid of. But if there's a, I think there are potentially options. I mean, yeah. you know, the fact that Trippier went Newcastle over us is... Um, yeah. Well, the reason I mentioned him was because of the money he's paid for him and he yeah. hasn't really delivered. And yeah. you're going to have to get another replacement in. But uh, obviously, as you said, Matic is going to go. Uh, Lingard would go. Um, I'd get rid of Fred. He's 29 now, going on 30. You know, You've got McTominay there, you know. You, you know, obviously Pogba's obviously going to go as well. Look at bringing in just some fresh blood in the middle of midfield, really. Uh, one matters out of contract, let him go. Uh, and then after that, uh, I think the last one was Cavani, who's obviously yeah. 
Cavani's still an asset. You can still use him, but I just don't think, depending on what you're going to do with Ronaldo, would, you know, it, it, it would sway me one way or the other. But I, I think Cavani will want to go over his own accord anyway. I don't think he's, he's going to want to stay. But if you think about it that way, all of a sudden, obviously, we don't know what's going to happen with Greenwood. But you've got, you're definitely going to need another striker. You're going to need a whole new central midfield, a new right back. You know what I mean? Center so, half, potentially. Center half as well. Yeah, you know what I mean? So, especially if you let Bayi go. So, you know, we're talking about a good few players. Um, you know, there's, there's a massive, massive rebuilding job. And when you said three or four years to possibly be challenging, I know it's Manchester United and the ambition should be that. But you're a million miles away from challenging yeah. Man City and, and Liverpool at the moment. But I don't mean to, I don't mean to uh, shower on your parade there, Chris, but it's just there. Uh, yeah. I think yeah, in terms of competing, I would take just like being in the conversation at this point in the season. <laughs> Yeah, not necessarily winning I, it. I, I think the best Man United can hope for next year, next year, just next year, would be to try and get back in the top four and try and go as deep as they possibly can in in, in the cup competitions. I just want to finish on uh, Ralph Ranić. Mm-hmm. Listen, as we've already mentioned, he come in with a massive reputation, and I mean huge. As we said, he 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 endeared himself all you know within German football, well revered, um, had big backers in terms of Jurgen Klopp and obviously Guardiola and. Uh, he's been linked with a few jobs in England, notably Everton a, f- a few times. Uh, every single time the jobs come up at Everton, he seems to be linked with it. Um, not sure how, how much truth was in that, but um, what do you think's gone wrong there for him, Chris? Because at the very start, when we uh, at the show when we first started, you said you thought that it was going to change under Ranić, and then you made like a little comment that was probably a little bit of a dig because you were saying like you know I thought it was going to change under Ranić, and it, and, it, and it, you know look how that turned out or whatever it was you said. Now. Obviously, his reputation has took a little bit of a hit. But how much of a hit do you think it has taken in terms of, do you think it is him? Or has he really proven that actually it is a mentality thing? It is an ego thing. And the, 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 the atmosphere at Old Trafford within the dressing room is toxic and that it is actually on the players here. I think I think that because end, end of the day, um, they got Mourinho sacked. They eventually got Oli sacked. Um, They've made Vanier look like a, a bad coach, which he isn't. You know, he doesn't have the reputation and the knowledge of the game he does without being a good coach. Um, maybe there was a case of he's probably not coached recently enough and maybe that sort of uh, meant he couldn't do as, as well as we possibly thought because uh, obviously it, it, it'd been taking more technical director sort of roles um, yeah. previously. But yeah, I think it highlighted the culture of the players. The attitude think, of the players. Do you think that his... Because Vanek's always been at teams like the likes of uh, Schalke, Hoffenheim, uh, Leipzig, teams like that within Germany, where he's always had teams that the players have, have not really had egos. They've not been built into them sort of superstars yet. So do you yeah. think that the fact he's gone into a dressing room, possibly for the first time, where... The players think that they, you know, they, well, they, they, the players think they're superstars. Some of them are superstars, um, and they just don't take too well to, mm. you know, being asked to do a certain. And and, and to be honest, because if, if I'm being totally straight, Ralph Rangnick doesn't really want to be a manager, does he? Obviously, proved no. by the fact that all his roles have been technical director roles or director of football or whatever, sporting director. But I, I honestly feel, think if Ralph Rangnick was given three or four years himself and he was a bit younger 
you know, I think he could have done a good job at Manchester United, similar to, similar to Eric Ten Hag. And I feel like he is getting a lot of stick based on the fact that the, the players are underperforming. But I've, these players, as you've just said there, they got Mourinho sacked. They got um, Ollie sacked. And Ollie was meant to be the best mate. You know, if they can do that to him and throw him under the bus, what are they going to do to Ralph Lanyuk, who's a bit more of a disciplinarian? So um, I do feel sorry for him. The, the performance on Tuesday night was as bad as I've seen. I mean, and Gary Neville summed it up perfectly uh, on um, did I say Monday night and Tuesday night, wasn't it? Um, Gary Neville summed it up perfectly after the game where he said that uh, Liverpool had a, had a real sort of iffy bang average team in, in the in the uh, ninth round, about 97, 98 sort of, sort of time. And never once did Liverpool go into a game against Manchester United and just roll over. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and that's effective what Man United done. I'm being honest, Chris. They were poor against Everton, really poor. And and, and Everton were poor themselves. It was a real low quality game. But I mean, yeah. and David Hayes interviews are just like I mean, yeah. the, the Everton come out the club just stinks of negativity, doesn't it? At, at yeah. the moment. And I think that that game, um, well, one quick comment on it is the fact that, like you say, it was by far and away, the, the worst performance by any team in that particular fixture, it was an embarrassment. It was ridiculous. Every sort of um, variable of that that sort of word, and um, there was no appetite. Um, I was the same opinion of Gary Neville once again, that the best thing United did was bring Hannibal on and let him go and kick people, because should should not have a Liverpool-United game where somebody isn't kicked. And you know, you've got to make a foul. I don't even think he was like he wasn't actually committing bad fouls. He yeah. just it was just just something about didn't putting him putting him under pressure, running around. He was also wanting the ball, making mm. movements. You know, was it just standing in one place expecting the ball to come towards him? He was like, Oh, right, he's moving it over there. So I'm gonna go and make a bit of space for himself, ask for the ball, get on the half turn and stuff. And that was just yeah, there's just there's nothing from, from the players. I mean, I could sit here and moan for the next two hours about that performance but um but yeah it was just um it was just so utterly bad um and I think I mean the sort of fallout of that has been tempered a bit by announcing the new manager they're not stupid these like are they um, no. announcing new manager two days later but yeah I mean it can't PR, get any worse then PR a uh... Departments at these football clubs know exactly what they're doing, mate. I yeah, mean, 100%. obviously, United have just done that. Every time Everton got beat uh, on the Benitez, they release a new image of Brandy Mordor. They're not stupid, <laughs> are you know I mean? Very, very, very clever, these guys in uh, these PR departments. You're listening to Match Day FM. How crucial has Bruno Fernandes been? Because it, it, they've almost been, it, it, I think it's fair to say, they've just been unrecognisable since he's come in. I think he's certainly jumped into the Premier League halfway through a season has certainly shown he can swim in that particular in that metaphor <laughs> rather than sink yeah we are still talking about football aren't we no 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 but no I meant in the metaphor the Olympics is next year Tommy check out all of our podcasts so far on Anchor Apple Podcasts and Spotify the title is I mean oh my god a few months ago Chris it looked dead and buried uh, City were 14 points there. Granted, Liverpool had two games around. Um, it looked dead and buried. And, you know, now there's a point in it. It's been like this for a while. You're looking at the running. You're saying that City are possibly, 
possibly got the easier running. But you're also looking at Liverpool and the way they're playing at the moment. I mean, it just destroyed you. Uh, or you use uh, Manchester United. It will destroy Everton on Sunday. <laughs> Two great um, fixtures for him, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was the, that, they were the ones. Oh, they could be potentially <laughs> difficult. Yeah, all right. Uh, so they will destroy Everton on uh, Sunday. Um, they've just beaten City, obviously, in the, the FA Cup semi. They're on a massive high off that. I mean, which way is this title race going to go, Chris? And also, midweek fixtures, we've just mentioned, they Liverpool destroyed Manchester United. But City, after being a bit lacklustre first half against Brighton, went on to go and win comfortably 3 0 at home. Mm. Which way is it going to go? And what did you make of the performances midweek? Obviously, start off with uh, your assessment to Liverpool against Manchester United. Yeah, I think Liverpool were fantastic and didn't get out of third gear. They looked really comfortable. I mean, Thiago was incredible. Um, you know, obviously, he's been, everybody's been talking about him. He's been, he was outstanding. Um, front three, Still like scoring every single time they play. I mean, Sellers had a bit of a bad run, but they've still got um, Mane, um, Jota, Luis Diaz, who looks absolute steel. Um, they, they've got another one, aren't they, there in, in him? Um, the I, I, I still think they give you the odd chance with the high line. Um, mm. One of these days, it'll catch them out. Um but yeah, they, they were superb in midweek. They're just in outstanding form um, right now. Um, you know, they've clicked into gear again. Um, and just they're just relentless, aren't they? Um, so quick in, in the way they, they move the ball. They're a lot more direct than City in, in the sense that once they get it, you know, City like to string eight to ten passes together, then go for the kill. Whereas yeah. Liverpool, like, one, two, pass, bang, you're in. Um, and obviously the the wide balls from the two incredible fullbacks. Um, they've they've got so, so much quality. They've now got a depth as well to rival City. Because um, I always thought that was the, the thing that separated the two. And now look at Liverpool's second eleven, and I'm thinking, yeah, it's it's a lot closer, especially at the top end of the pitch. Um, I still think I'd, I'd, I'd argue they're probably going to head the City now in terms yeah, of depth. The, 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 the front line is. Because, I mean, I think with City, there's a lot of players you can't decide whether they're a midfielder or a striker these days. Um, Bernardo Silva plays, you know, he's practically playing CDN the other week. Uh, he's, but, like, yeah, I mean, on, on City, um, their midweek performance, um, it was nervy for that for first hour. You thought, I hope this could be be the one, especially the way Brighton have played the last couple of games. Yep. Um, got great results at Arsenal and Spurs, playing very similar, defensively so so solid. And I have, you know, I've found a couple of goals of late. Um, but I think City, once they got the one, they were always going to win the game because um, Brighton... Yeah, they, cru- they cruised, didn't they, after that? Yeah, you, you didn't feel Brighton were going to go and get two goals for sure. Maybe would get one from a set piece, but once the second one went in, it, it was, it was um, game over, really. And I think... Um, I think a lot now depends on the rotation. Um, I think City, we, we showed the priority and didn't, didn't with the selection in the in the FA Cup, um, playing a goalkeeper who's not good enough for that level of status. Um, them going out the cup maybe benefits them because a lot of the key stars didn't play that game. Um, so I've got a, an extra sort of bit of a rest. Um, the running is slightly easier. I mean, fully, I mean, this weekend, both are playing relegation. 
um, candidates are in Watford and Everton, both at home. You fully expect both to win at a canter, really. Then it's well, Champions League. Same, same uh, Liverpool. Watford might make yeah. Liverpool um, City based on what they did. Yeah. Then it's, then it's Champions League. Um, ties were, again, it'll be interesting to see what the rotation policy is. Um, and then I think you look at the the last games of April for each of them. Leeds away for, for City. City could run riot or or get come unstuck there. You don't because it's Leeds and you don't really know with Leeds. Liverpool have got a very tough one. Newcastle away with their form. And then I think, you know, the running of the last few games, um, Liverpool playing um have got to play Spurs, Villa, um, and Wolves. I think they're they're tricky. Um whereas like City are at home to Newcastle, which I think is a completely different game, but do yeah. go to West Ham and are home to Villa. I mean, they're pro- now that you know these two games that we said about Liverpool, the rivals games, you don't really know if they're based on history, they're tough games, based on this season, they're not. And mm. I think I think realistically, both both sides could easily win all, all their remaining fixtures. Mm. But I just feel as though one of them will drop points somewhere because it the, to keep the intensity up, knowing that um, you've got that rival, it's going to be so difficult. I think if anybody will slip, I've got a feeling it will be Liverpool purely because I think um, the enormity of the quadruple mm. is too much is potentially too much. There's a reason not many teams do it because it is so hard to do. Um, and they're going to have a blip somewhere, whether it comes in the league or one of the cup competitions, I don't know. Um, I think I don't think they will do the quadruple. Mm-hmm. I really hope they don't do the quadruple um, yeah. because, I, like I said, I, I think the one-off games can, you know, it's got sensitive two finals. It, it could could turn, but um, in terms of league, I think they both win every game, and I think that means City win it ultimately. But it's fascinating, really. We could have we could have one of those days where one of the teams scoring the last minute to get a get a result or concede last minute to lose the result. Mm. It's it going to be it's going to be brilliant to watch. I think. Yeah, I mean that's one thing for saying that it's whatever happens, it's going to be. And falling, isn't it? And uh, unfortunately, I'm I'm on the other side to you in terms of I think if anyone's going to drop points at this moment, I think it's going to be Man City. I just feel like Liverpool are just in they're in that mode at the moment. They're in mm. killer mode, and it's going to be hard to stop them. And the only games I can see Liverpool potentially dropping points in would be Tottenham at home, and uh, obviously the one uh, Newcastle away, as you said. You know that that's that's a that's, that's a tough game. Uh, but I, I do think they'll. Able to turn both of them over. Um, whereas City, I think West Ham's a real tough game for them away from home. Real I think that's game. the one, isn't it? Um, but I don't get me wrong, I think I think definitely I, I can definitely see um both teams winning all the remaining games. Definitely see that. Um, but I, I do think if one of them's gonna drop points, it will be Manchester City. But we'll just have to wait and see, won't we? Especially mm-hmm. with City picked up a couple of injuries, haven't they? I mean, Carl Walker, I mean. That's a big miss for City. I don't think people realise how important he is to, to Manchester yeah. City because of his pace. But um, obviously, Ruben Diaz has been out for a while as well. You know, being out for six, seven weeks, that's no good. He's your best centre-back. 
Um, Liverpool seeing the damage that that done last year, uh, having their best centre back out. So, um, yeah, hopefully they can stay in G three and and maintain. But it's going to be difficult. It's going to be enthralling, whatever happens. You're listening to Matchday FM. It was his number hoot. <laughs> we all laugh now. Was there any point when you were just like, please stop? I remember watching that match and I was thinking, when is this going to end? I was meant to be going to see uh, an ex-girlfriend of mine and I just kept saying to me, like, you know, I'm just watching the end of this match and then <laughs> 10 minutes later, you know, another Makes text, sense. where are you? Yeah, it still hasn't finished. And to be honest, that's probably why she's an ex-girlfriend of mine. <laughs> I was going to say, blame, blame John Esner for that, I was. Yeah, and, uh, and Nicholas and Hoot, yeah, both of them. This is Match Day FM, home of sporting banter and debate. The relegation battle, right? Oh, my God. Like... I was saying, literally, at the start of the week, if Everton beat Leicester, then I think it's all over. Right? Regardless of what Burnley do on, on Thursday. If Everton draw against Leicester, if, if, did you watch the game, first and foremost? Uh, I saw the highlights of the uh, Everton game. I've, yeah. I watched the Burnley one. Okay. Well, I, I, I went to the match, uh, the Everton game. Weren't very good, to be honest, uh, in terms of general play. Wasn't particularly great. Thought Leicester controlled the game, um, largely in possession, creating angles and everything you'd expect from a Brendan Rodgers team, really, without creating anything. I think Pickford made one save, other, other than the goal, and then Everton had three or four guilt edge chances that probably they probably should have took. But yeah, without you know, in general play, but garbage really um, for most of the game. Now, obviously, unbelievably. You know, Rogers called it lucky in his, in his press conference. I'm going to call it fortunate. Um, at the end, to to to, to obviously Nick and Nicholas it. Now, obviously, Burnley played last night. Ten Southampton over. Who, by the way, first ten minutes could have been three 0 Southampton. You know, Burnley looked all lost at sea. They scored a goal, Conor Roberts. They settled down. They get on the front foot. Probably could have been three three up themselves at that time if. Um, you know, obviously, Vegas that is a shooting boots on. Uh, you know, and then obviously they see the game out, win two 0 But I mean, Chris, it's changing from game to game to game, isn't it? I mean, the last time me and you spoke, funnily enough, uh, we I, I tipped Everton to go down and to finish nineteenth. Mm. So what? I, I fancy Watford to stay up. Now Watford have fell off the edge of a cliff. Um, so great tip by me, <laughs> but um. Yeah, I mean, look, what you make of it first and foremost? What's you know what's been happening recently, and where do you see it going now? Because I can't even call it anymore, and I don't, I don't even want to. I, you know, yeah. after last night, as I say, I feel like Burnley, probably judging off Everton's fixture list, are favourites again uh, to stay up. But I mean, this literally is going to go down to the wire, isn't it? Yeah, I think. I think it's safe to say that um, there's more plot twists than an Agatha Christie novel um, when it comes to this relegation battle. It's just it's ridiculous. I mean, um, like you say, massive goal for, for Everton against Leicester. I think if they don't score that, it could change the complexion completely of, the, of this conversation um, because at the minute, Everton have that points and game in, in hand as well now. So... Um, obviously, Burnley sacking Daesh was a bit, bit of a bit of a curveball. Um, did not see that coming at all. Um, no. But we've got four points since. Um, in, away at West Ham, probably should have won the game. In 
in terms of you know they've missed a penalty. Depends yeah, on look, which side of the fence you're on there. Yeah, though, I mean well, Nick, Nick Pope's had a good game in that one as well, hasn't he? I mean, so I mean to further you take a point in that one. Um, yeah, anyway, um, and then yeah, yeah, with what seven to go for Everton, six to go for Burnley, it's just you just don't want to make a um, a judgment because you just re- really don't know with the. Burnley are actually playing better than Everton. Um, yeah. Everton still can't win away from home. Um, yeah. I'd say at home have more about them, mm-hmm. but you also feel as though if they go 2-0 down, they're not coming back. Um, oh. Whereas like Burnley, Burnley are better defensively. Yeah. That's what could, could help them. Um, and yeah, but you also look at it now, I think, we were, for a couple of weeks ago, we may have been forgiven for saying Leeds look all right, but because Leeds haven't played for for what seems like three years, um, they're now only five points clear of Burnley, and you know, like I touched on earlier, they play City in in fortnight. Um, you know, Aston Villa uh, on thirty six have lost the last four. I mean, I I think. There's, if Burnley never to win games in the next couple of weeks and those two don't, above them, Leeds and, and Villa, then maybe all of a sudden you go, maybe, maybe. Mm. But, yeah, I, I think it's just... I get the feeling there's going to be several more twists. Um, where they come from, anybody's guess. But I think, you know, it, it's been, been talked of before. I think Everton's running looks evil, really, doesn't it? Um Away to at Anfield, um, host Chelsea. Have to go to Leicester. Have to go to Watford um, on the on the last day there. Uh, then Brentford and Palace at home. Both will be safe and comfortable. So it's all all the cases yeah, whether Brentford, they can be bothered. Brentford are flying, you know. So yeah, I think that's a pure mentality thing. I think you're more likely to get some against Palace, but I think Brentford want to want to just see what they can do this season, see how high they can get. Which look yeah. at Burnley have got um, Wolves at home, which don't score a lot of goals, but difficult to beat. So that's just a set piece either way. Um, Watford away. It's a massive game for, I think, you know, Watford Wolf, have Wolf, to Wolf, win, I, don't I they? I think the Watford game, Burnley, obviously both teams, as you mentioned, Watford have to play both Everton and Burnley. I feel like if Watford win both those games um, and yeah, neither yeah. of them pick up any points either side, they're back, back in it. <laughs> yeah. But what I would say about Watford though is that the Burnley game, they're more like if they lose that Burnley game, the chances are well, they they lose the Burnley game, they're out of it. They're completely they're, yeah. they're gone. And it makes it an easier game for you when you play. Exactly, them. exactly. So really we've got Watford at the better time mm. than, than Burnley. But um Still a tough game for both teams. I mean, they're going to go for it. Yeah, the final four for for Burnley, Villa at home, that could be massive. I mean, like like I said, if Villa don't I, win, I, I fancy them against Dave. Yeah, and, Villa, and Villa are away at City on the last day of the season. By the way, um, Tottenham away for Burnley. That's the one that you look at and say, nah, no chance. In fact, Burnley got to play Villa twice. Um, so I mean, if I was a Villa fan right now, I'd be thinking we we need to win a game. Um, to, to help us out, and then they host Newcastle on the last day of the season. Newcastle will be on the beach by then, 
Um, yeah. Celebrated probably finishing the top half as well, the way they're going. So, I mean, I think there's more games there for Burnley that you think they can get something there. And I yeah. think that's the worry for Everton. But at the same time, there's a half a chance Leeds or Villa might get sucked in still because there's still a lot of points to play for in there. I think Leeds are in decent form, just haven't played for a few weeks, which has sort of dragged them back in. Villa are yeah. in an awful form. Um, so they possibly just need to get another win or so. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's, it's fascinating. I, um, I, wouldn't, I would not want to put a quid anywhere. <laughs> well, I mean, I agree. It is fascinating. I don't know what's going to happen. I really don't. I mean, I just think with Everton's fixture list, you'd have to be Burnley favourites. As you say, looking at the fact that there's more winnable games there for Burnley than what there is for Everton. But I'm just pray- I'm praying for a, a Gareth Fadley style, you know, escape. You know what I mean? Or a, or a Barry Horn. 1994 escape, you know, we just have to wait and see, but um, whatever happens, it's going to be uh, nail-biting for sure. Mm. But Listen, you've just touched on them, and I want to quickly uh, touch base with them. Newcastle, I mean, at Christmas, dead and buried. Look mm. dead and buried, being honest. They, you know, Eddie would come in, they hadn't really improved, and, you know, hadn't really picked up any points. Obviously, made some signs in the January transfer window. And I've just spectacularly kicked on. Um, put about four wins back to back. And it's amazing what a few wins back to back can do for you in the Premier League, isn't it? You know, they, they now look safe. You've obviously won in midweek. Um, Chris, first of all, what a job Eddie R's done. But secondly, talk to you about the signs he'd made. And where would you rank them in terms of importance? Because I've got one in particular who I think has been monumental for them. Hmm. Um yeah, but just talk to me first about Eddie Howe. Yeah, I think Eddie Howe, genuinely, right now, I would say very strong candidate for manager of the season, mm. considering the job he's done. Five points when, when he took over, they're now on 40. And if you think, I think they played 16, 17 games at that point. The form is top six, top four, maybe. They've been absolutely incredible. Played good, good football as well, I think. Um, and he, he's... Obviously, it, you know, the, the change of ownership created a great vibe around the club, but I also think he's created a great vibe around the club. Um, People scoffed at his appointments as well, Chris, don't forget. You don't yeah, they, they thought he wasn't ambitious. Mm. But, I mean, a lot a lot of big teams have been looking at Eddie Howe and thinking, if he does a, a good job here with Newcastle, he might be an option long-term, because he's, he's, what, he's like 41 or something? He's, he's very People, young still. Chris, people at Celtic didn't even want him. Last, like, you know, when he was linked there, he yeah. was meant to be going up there. It's like, you know, to think, like, obviously, I remember he was linked with Everton and we were like, no, do you know what I mean? Like, no way, you know, how can we get a coach who's just relegated, you know, or being yeah. relegated to Bournemouth? I think, I think he learned a lot with Bournemouth in terms yeah. of his recruitment as well. You know, he, he got a few signings wrong. He's not made a bad signing for Newcastle yet. Okay. Um, and I think we all thought, oh, they're going to try and splash a load of money, but they've been targeted in, in their approach, which is probably perfect word to use considering I think Matt Target's been outstanding for them. Um, is he the one, really, he the so, one you're thinking of? I'm, I think he's been the probably the most underrated signing um, mm. of, of, the, of the window um, because I think he he's just come in and fans love him. Um, 
he's fitted in. He, he's making that deal permanent, 100%. I think he, he oh, yeah, he's, he's going to make that move. Um, I mean, obviously, the headlines will be um, Bruno Guimaraes, who looks quality. Um, looks like he should be playing in the top top six Premier League side for me. Being linked with Real Madrid today, believe it or not. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to be fair, would you leave leave Newcastle right now? Oh. With all, all the positivity, I mean, what we've got to say is, um, I mean, I, I might be slightly biased with my work allegiances, but the atmosphere at Newcastle looks absolutely insane. Yeah, you'd want to play in front of that every week. They're um, only going one way, aren't they? And I think that that's the thing. Yeah. Like, we're, we're, you know. That, that might sound to a lot of people when you say, would you leave Newcastle and go to Real Madrid? Like, it sounds like it's almost a no-brainer, it's a question. Mm-hmm. But when you think about it and you break it down, when you were at Manchester City back in 2008 and 2009, when, it, when uh, obviously uh, Shinawatra was bought out by um, this, well, I don't know what they, they call themselves now, the City Group, but let's just say mm-hmm. the Abu Dhabi Group back then. Um, you know, there was... The field goal fact that City was unbelievable. You know, no one would have, no one would have left to go to to, mm. to Real Madrid at that point. I mean, as proven by the fact that the players that they actually did sign in the coming years, the next two, two, three years, the likes of Silva, uh, Aguero, don't forget Company was already there, mm. Yaya Torre, players like that, they all stayed when they probably had opportunities to move abroad. I for me personally, Gomares, I'd stay with him because mm. the club's only gonna get bigger and better. Yeah, and I mean, especially sort of players they're gonna gonna attract. I mean, like I, I would I was saying to me the other day, right now, if you're a top player and two clubs came in for you and they were Manchester United and Newcastle United, mm. I know which I'm picking, and it's not Manchester United. Yeah, 100%. It's Newcastle because you think, oh, what a place that is, you know, they're on the up, the atmosphere is incredible. Um, you feel as though you're gonna you could do something something special. Yeah, I mean, what a job uh, the R's done there. I mean, the player I was actually thinking of, I know you said Matt Tiger, I think Dan Bain. I mean, yeah, Sam, fantastic. I mean, he's been unbelievable. He's brought a calmness. He's big, he's strong, he's a Geordie. He just gets it, you know, and, he, and he's been not in short of fantastic for them. And he, you know, really has allowed, new, you know, uh, he's, he, for me, has, has been the platform to, so Newcastle kicking on, going further forward. I like to go Mares. Obviously, he's coming to the team of late. Joel Linton's been very, very good in midfield. You've, you've had, um, uh, obviously, Alan St. Maxman. Uh, you've had, even, I mean, Chris Wood, for the fact he hasn't scored too many goals, he's actually been okay. He's performed. His decent. word rate's ridiculous. So yeah. good. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they, they've been real. For the team that was fighting relegation, they were, they've been a real breath of fresh air, haven't they, since, uh, since the January transfer window. But anyway, let's move on. This weekend's fixtures, uh, I mean, listen, there's some key games. I'm going to ask you for a comment on, on each of these games. Mm-hmm. Um, some very, you know, pivotal games, really. The, the, uh, the first of which is Arsenal versus Manchester United. Um, big, big, big game, obviously, in, in, in terms of the top four. Uh, Manchester City versus Watford, huge game for both sides, uh, at both ends of the table. Obviously, Man City going for you know looking to retain their title, uh, Watford looking to retain their Premier League status. Uh, Burnley versus Wolves, huge game for Burnley in particular. Um, Wolves obviously still challenging for the European places. I would say maybe the Europa League, something like that. But uh, Burnley obviously looking to really build on what was a, a good. 
good win last time out against Southampton and, and try and leapfrog their nearest rivals. And obviously, the other game is the Merseyside derby. Uh, Liverpool v Everton, again, the ramifications for both clubs is huge. Comment on each of them for us, please, Chris, and a winner, please. Cool. Uh, yeah, I'll just I'll go from top to bottom then. Um, yeah, massive game, Arsenal United. Um, losers out of it for me um, yep. because I just think it'd be a, a too big a thing to overhaul. Maybe, maybe Arsenal even, could recover. Even, yeah, even after Arsenal beat Chelsea the other night, do you think? Well, I, I think Arsenal win the game, so... <laughs> So I, I think, yeah, and I think that it's a straight shootout between themselves and Spurs. Um, Leicester Villa, I, I think it's a, it's a big one for Villa. They need to get a result, but I fancy Leicester um, potentially. But maybe maybe we'll give Villa something, give them a point. Um, City beat Watford, no more needs to be said. Are you going through all the games here, by the way? Just, just with you commenting on uh, Leicester Villa there. Or yeah, I might, I might as well. Give might you as a, well. Go might for as it. Well. Why not? Uh, it's the object of me running all there, but go on. You go <laughs> uh, Newcastle win at Norwich. Uh, Spurs Spurs at Brentford's a, a tough one, I think. Um, yeah. um, but I, I think it, it, it's ultimately Spurs will know what they need after the 12 30 game being yeah. at Arsenal United. So, um, but I think Brentford gets something from it. Um, so I'll go for a draw. Um, Brighton Southampton draw written all over it. Um, I fancy Burnley to beat Wolves one nil. I don't see. It. I think it's one nil either way game, isn't it? Um, Thanks, Chris. Appreciate that. Um, <laughs> Chelsea West Ham. Um, yeah. Ooh, I think all depends again. West Ham's priorities. Maybe they see the Europa League as their best shot of the Champions League um, but again I, I, Chelsea are in poor form really um, flaky at the best at the minute um, we'll go draw um, yep. they're probably going to win aren't they um, sorry Thanks, Sam yeah, um, appreciate and it and then I, I think Leeds away Crystal Palace as well um, I think they'll win as well Leeds I think Leeds might get something well, basically um, you're just picking every team that could possibly finish below Everton to win Pretty like much, pretty yeah. much. I mean, yeah, I don't think it's going to be a particularly good week for Everton, but maybe no. the week after might be better. Yeah, well, I, I like the way you tried to soften the blow there, Chris. Anyway, yeah. but there's plenty of games left. Yeah, I knew I always liked you, but <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, for me, I can't really argue too much. I don't think. I mean, uh, if I look at the fixtures, I think Arsenal will beat Manchester United, as you said. Uh, I think Leicester will beat Villa. Uh, did you go for the Jordan? Yeah, Leicester, yeah. I think Leicester will beat Villa based off what I've seen in the night and based off what I've been seeing of Villa. Uh, I think City will steamroll Watford. Uh, Newcastle, I would fancy them to beat Norwich, as you said. I feel like Brentford, Tottenham is a really intriguing game. What did you go for? I went draw. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna go Brentford. Mm. I think I think Brentford yeah. will, will, will beat them. It's it's a big uh, it's a derby game. It's another bragging right. Sort of yeah. job for Brentford, isn't it? And also, you know, Ericsson's going to take the headlines, isn't he? His former club. It would be. Thing. It would be. I mean, he's already had some beautiful moments uh, this season, as any Ericsson. But I don't think there'd be any more one more beautiful than him scoring the ninetieth minute winner. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go for the draw. Brighton Southampton. What did you go for? Yeah, draw, it's draw written all over it, isn't it? Yeah, I, I mean, I, if it, if there was to be a winner, I think Brighton would win based off what I've seen from Southampton. Um, 
And based on what I've been seeing of Southampton for the last, yeah, they just sort of. I know, um, they, I know they picked up a result against Arsenal, but they they fell off the edge of a cliff. Yeah. Uh, Burnley against Wolves draw. I'm honest, I don't I, I don't see uh, Burnley winning that game. I'm praying Burnley don't win that game. Uh, I mean, even if they draw, Everton would end up in the bottom three. Um, Chelsea, I feel like there's going to be a reaction. Um, yeah, I think they'll beat West Ham. Uh, I couldn't tell you the score, though. Uh, Liverpool, Everton, I mean, every last inch of me is playing, Everton can get some. If Everton gets some, if there's ever a game for Everton to get something, it's this one, isn't it? Now, in it, yeah. Now, yeah. please do it. Because we there's so much. Everyone. The relegation element, the title element, it's, it's, it's set up for Everton to do it. I mean, obviously, they brought the hoodoo the year, but yeah, um, I mean, th- this one would probably, I, I would say, if Everton get a result here, it would probably, you might be the might biggest result just, of all be, It's all probably season. the biggest derby result for a long, long time if you go there and win. I would argue, Chris, right? And this might sound really outlandish. I would argue it's the biggest upset in a Premier League game for a long time. Right, I don't think you're far off because the only ones that like you, you would even consider maybe is Norwich going to Anfield and winning. That's the only team that you'd think like, yeah. Other than like because because of the circumstances behind the game, obviously, mm. oh my God, we're barely on as good as Everton or or um, you know Watford or something like that. But Burnley and Watford don't have the same pressure on them as well Everton do in mm. terms of obviously local rivals, you know, all that sort of thing. It is huge. If Everton were to get something at Anfield on Sunday, whether it's a point or whether it's a win, it's monumental for, for, for both the mm. top end and the bottom end of the Premier League. But I can't see it. I think we're, we're going to win four or five, um, if I'm honest. Uh, yeah, and I think we're just going to have to stomach it and move on very, very quickly. But just have to wait and see. And the, the last game, Crystal Palace leads. Could be a draw, could be it could be anything in that game, really. Really being honest, it could be anything. Yeah. It could be Palace. I can see Palace when I can see Leeds when I can see the draw, so I'm gonna go with the draw. Uh but yeah, um but Chris, that's that's basically it uh, for another episode of a uh, Prem Talk. I would just like to clarify, by the way, uh, to anyone listening, um that I absolutely hate football. Uh <laughs> not a fan of it at all. Boxing's on tomorrow, can't wait for it. Can't break my heart the same way as football does. So um <laughs> Yeah, and I think I'm going to take up ice skating or something just to uh, make myself feel <laughs> better, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, look, Chris, been sensational talking to you, especially the, the Man United stuff with Ten Hag, fascinating. I have been Sam Jordan. He has been Chris Stott. This has been Prem Talk, and you've been listening to Match Day FM. <laughs>